It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips, and share. For more information, check them out at clipit.tv or check them on Twitter at clipit.tv. Michael Kiss. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball and a half. And Benjamin Solak. How old are you? It's the Kiston Solak Show. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Right here on BGN Radio. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 11 and brought to you by the fine folks at BGN Radio. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my excellent work for InsideThePylon.com. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, I am joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Seven-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak of Bleeding Green Nation and NDTScouting.com is where you can find his excellent draft work. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Oh, every day is a good day to be alive, Mike. Getting ready. New Year's is this week. Always fun. I um, should tell the gentle listeners I will not be on the show for a good portion of this week and the next week as well. Uh, it is my spring break. I will be heading down uh, to Tijuana, Mexico, actually, to build houses with uh, with an orphanage there through uh, one of my, my school programs, OCF, the Orthodox Christian Fellowship. Very excited. Couldn't be more pumped, but I will be leaving you a little bit on your own for uh, for a big a big time period, Mike. A big um, a very busy time. So I'm sorry about that, but I'm excited to be heading down. Yeah, I'm going to have some serious separation anxiety, not being able to talk with you all the time. What I'm going to do to fill the void is I'm going to have some draft guys that we know that we respect on to talk about some of these prospects and about this news that is dropping. Guys like John Ledger, you know, guys like Tre- Trevor Sycamore from Pewter Report. And what we're doing today, Ben, while I have you, before you leave, Mm -hmm. we are talking trades with maybe a sprinkling of free agency. Obviously, the Eagles aren't going to be too active in acquiring talent in free agency, but there's some interesting stuff going down. The legal tampering period begins on Monday. 
but we are recording Sunday night. Keep that in mind. I guess to reset before a wave of news starts to pour in. As far yeah. as the trades, we're going to go a little more in depth into the Michael Bennett and Daryl Wardley trades. I've watched some tape. I've seen some things. I've come out of it a changed man. On the next Kiss and Solak show, we're going to be talking about NFL New Year's resolutions, which is going to be a fun show. And all you have to do is continue listening and subscribing to BGN Radio. We make it easy for you. Maybe throw in a five-star rating or leave a review. Go rate like a champion today, whatever you got to do. <laughs> okay, Ben, before we get into the Eagles trade some more, what we're getting from these players from an evaluation and scheme standpoint, there's one move you and I have yet to talk about, and that is Richard Sherman has now signed a three-year contract with the San Francisco 49ers. The feeling for me is that this allows him to stay on the same coast. He's closer to the Stanford program, which I'm sure was used as a selling point by the 49ers, and the contract is mm -hmm. really beneficial for both parties. And going into the details of that real quickly, $5 million signing bonus, $2 million base salary, $2 million in the 46-man roster bonuses, $1 million in playtime incentives, and $3 million if he makes the Pro Bowl. So a low base salary, and Sherman is banking if he hits a certain amount of playing time and makes the Pro Bowl. Ben, I really like this deal. I like yeah. the fit. The 49ers defensive coordinator, Robert Saleh, was there in Seattle for the first year of Sherman's career. And it's is it basically Soleil? the same scheme. Is that how it's said? Is it Saleh? Saleh, Saleh. Saleh? <laughs> I don't know. He's got a great looking last name. He's a good guy. We mean no disrespect. Say however you want to say it. Yeah, I wish I could pronounce it. But yeah, this is a name I can pronounce. Akello Witherspoon. Now, he's coming into his second year, and I thought he had a solid rookie campaign, but there, there's not another ingrained starter there. The question is, what do you get from a 30-year-old coming off an Achilles tear and an additional Achilles surgery to remove bone spurs? What does he bring to the team at this point in his career, Ben? Yeah, very interesting. I will say that as far as you know, men on whom I would bet coming off of surgery, Richard Sherman is very high on the list. Obviously, you know, I don't I don't know his medicals intimately or whatever, but when we talk about recovery from Achilles, especially for corners, which can be tricky, Eagles fans should know, uh, Sidney Jones being a great example. A certain character makes you feel better about a guy's recovery, and Sherman is kind of that fierce competitor. 49ers fans should, of course, know that above all others, because him going to the 49ers is hysterical, right? How much, how many different references to the Crabtree tipped play interception did you see? During this whole process, there were thousands. And right. it's amazing. You know, I try to think about that. Like, what if, like a, like, a hated player from our division rival, like, came over? You know what I mean? Like, this is like... Like Des Bryant. Yeah, Like, that's exactly. in that realm. He's a Des-level antagonist. And imagine if Des was, like, cut by the Cowboys and Eagles were like, hey, you want to sign here? Like, there'd be a part of you that's excited, but then a part of you that feels like you still have to hate him, even though he's in Midnight Green now, you know? So it's very difficult and it's very interesting to think about. Uh, from an on-field perspective, very curious. I'm, I'm happy. The move is a good one for the 49ers. It is a decently sized deal for a almost 30 corner who's coming off of an Achilles injury. I understand that. But at the same time, this is a guy who's a top five corner in the league before he went down. A guy who's a top three corner in the league at his peak when he's healthiest. And you have a very young corner room. I wonder what the long-term plan was for the Niners. I wonder if they wanted to draft another young guy to go with Akella Witherspoon. Because if you remember at the trade deadline this past year, they moved Rashad Robinson 
Robinson, a streaky, a kind of an up and down sort of a corner, maybe a better fit for the uh, for the slot uh, to the Jets, and they released Will Redmond. And so you were at the point where it looked like they were getting rid of their smaller guys and looking for length, right? Obviously, bringing a killer with has been six three, big wingspan out of Colorado last season, yeah. so kind of like make sure makes sense and fits that mold. I can't imagine they envisioned Sherman as part of the plan. So this, the way I look at it, they were clearing up space either for a, a run in Tremaine Johnson. Or for a, a early draft pick. And then Sherman becomes available and they just struck while the iron was hot. And so I love John Lynch. I'll put it to you that way. John Lynch, GM of the 49ers, is not a traditional GM. He has very little, you know, GMing experience. And it shows up because he makes good moves and is fearless. Because if, when you have GMing <laughs> experience, what you do is you pansy around, you don't do anything. Case in point, Harry Roseman, who very unorthodox path to the GM position is one of the best GMs in the league, right? And so I very much appreciate the 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 newness and the frankness that he brings to the position, John Lynch does. He's made a lot, I mean, Garoppolo and Sherman could be two of the highest impact moves we see at two of the highest impact positions in recent memory. And they're both yeah. because Lynch was like, let's do it. Like, here we go. You know, I, I'm either going to win or I'm going to get fired. Very, very smart move by the 49ers. Uh, one last note before we move on to more Eagles talk. The San Diego Chargers have extended cornerback Casey Hayward. That deal is good for three years. $20 million fully guaranteed with a total worth of $36 million. Ben, we have glowed about this dude before. He's a top five corner in my eyes. I don't think there's any question about it. And I think, yeah. you know, we when we played them earlier this year and Casey Hayward pretty much put the clamps on Alshon Jeffrey. And, of course, we found out that Alshon Jeffrey had the torn... Uh, torn labrum. Yeah, but Alshon was messing with a lot of people with the torn labrum. So, you know, Casey, Casey still locked him down. For sure. So Casey is a good one. That's a good deal for the Chargers to, to keep him at a pretty good price, too. Yeah, it's a really cheap deal. Wow. I would imagine that Casey would would garner more on the free market. I think that with all the corners that have been moving around, the Chargers were very wise to to sign him. And yeah, I do think he's a top five guy. He's that guy you kind of almost forget to put in your top five, but then you remember to before you accidentally say the fifth name. But we should talk Eagles corners because we have not spoken on air, at least, since the Daryl Worley trade, Mike. And I know you got deep into his film for Bleeding Green Nation. That post is up. It is quite good. And I very much recommend it. Mike does a good job profiling what Worley can do, different techniques, different positions, different ways that he can fit onto the roster for Philadelphia. So tell me about Worley, recently acquired corner from the Carolina Panthers. We traded Torrey Smith for him. Tell me what you saw. You're talking about a big, long corner, a guy with, you know, 33-inch arms, 209 pounds, just a big dude, but he's he's stiff. And, like, he's fine when he's up at the line and he's pressing and he man turns and he stays in phase and all of that's beautiful. He can push people out to the sideline. He can squeeze it, limit that window along the sideline. The problem for him comes is when he's in off coverage and he has an issue with long speed around a four six four at the combine and it shows up on tape. So he gives a little more cushion than is necessary. Now he's good, very good driving back down to the ball, getting downhill. But as it showed up when I watched, when you get a guy like Ted Ginn, you give him 10 yard off coverage and you're still getting beat over the top because you can't flip your hips and go. It's not great. Not great. It's not, it's, it's not, not ideal. <laughs> and he looked a little bit lost in zone two. His zone turns were bad. His, they played him a lot as a single high safety versus heavy personnel. And I was like, Oh, cool. In the first drive, I saw, okay, he's outside corner. 
He's single high safety and he's at the vice position on special teams blocking gunners. And I was like, I like this versatility. And then I watch his backpedal when he's in single high safety. And I'm like, ooh, ooh, I don't know about any of this. Not, not versatility <laughs> anymore, no. You're just kind of in a spot. Doesn't make you versatile just because you align there. But yeah, uh, he's going to be a project. And if they can get the best out of him and put him where he's comfortable, I mean, obviously he's going to be more comfortable on the outside playing play press. And we had suggested before that he might be able to fill in for that third safety role that Corey Graham played for us last year. I don't know about that. I don't like him in space. I don't like him in off coverage. I don't like him having to turn and run with these guys. Uh, I like him coming down as a as a box safety, maybe covering some tight ends. I think that's something that he can do. He's very good against the run. So a physical guy you like at the line pressing, and then a guy that you like coming downhill and run support, that's something that the Panthers put a big focus on when they select their corners. So I like Worley's potential. He hasn't nearly reached it, and his technique really blocks some of the athleticism that has he showed up sluggish very very sluggish on tape uh very much matched his testing so fantastic physical profile we'll have coaches drooling over the physical profile athletic profile is wanting and the technique is lacking okay so let me ask you this then so tory smith gone marcus johnson gone so we have a little bit of a conversation now with wide receivers but we'll get there Cornerback room for Philadelphia. Currently, Ronald Darby, Jalen Mills, mm-hmm. Rasul Douglas, Sidney Jones, Daryl Worley, and then you have Patrick Robinson, who's, who's going to hit free agency. What does Philadelphia do? They've got five players, all of whom are on their rookie deals, all of them 24 or younger. All, only one who's 24 is Ronald Darby on the final year of his deal. With whom does Philadelphia come into the season? Do they make a pass at Patrick Robinson? Who's starting in what packages? What you got deeper into the corners? I'm curious what you think as far as week. You know, let's put it this way: Eagles open camp. How are they deploying their corners? You know, what are they looking at? How are they going to put their guys out there on the on the practice field to see what they should do week one? You know, I'm thinking that Mills might get moved into the nickel position. We wanted him at safety. I think we try him there. I'll put it to you this way: Who do you think is better in the slot, Rasul Douglas or Jalen Mills, as far as that athletic profile and technique? Jalen Mills. Boom. There you go. Sidney Jones on the outside, Ronald Darby on the outside, Rasul Douglas backing up them all with Jalen Mills in the slot is how I see it. Worley is kind of just out there in the ether, not sure exactly where he fits. Honestly, not even sure he makes the team depending on what happens. All right. Well, so there is the conversation going around that Philadelphia may be looking to move a corner. Now, we just saw last year Philadelphia made a trade with the Ravens to acquire Timmy Jernigan. On the last year of his rookie deal, the Philadelphia Eagles needed that defensive tackle. Benny Logan was gone. Jernigan was a little bit miscast in the Ravens system. Uh, the ability to play him in a more penetrating role helped him a lot, and he signed a big, shiny new contract, right? Right. Darby being also in the rookie year of his deal, or the final year of his rookie deal, excuse me, potentially a guy the Eagles don't keep long term, because right now you've got three corners in Rasul Douglas, Cindy right. Jones, and Jalen Mills. Who two of them you invested relatively high capital in? One of them uh, you invested low capital in, but he's been a starter for you. I mean, for those of you who don't know, I'm not the biggest Jalen Mills fan as a starter, but Worley on the roster bubble. Does Worley indicate to you it's any more likely that they're trying to move Darby? That they're trying to uh, you know get a little bit of return on him because they know they're not going to be able to resign him, or they're not going to try to resign him after 2019? I don't think Worley plays into anything other than kicking the tires on a young guy with a very good physical profile. I don't think he moves the needle for me. I don't I don't bring in Worley and go, got that nailed down. You know what I mean? He's not at that level yet. Right. It is coincidental 
that a DB was rumored to be moved, I don't think Worley moves the needle for me on that front. No. I hear that for sure. That makes sense. And I I don't know about you. My presumption with this trade was Carolina wanted Tory because Carolina right. desperately needs receivers. And then they're looking, I think, to replicate what they had with Ted Ginn, which they're doing at a much higher price for worse play, in my opinion. But whatever. Maybe if they just kept Ted Ginn, they wouldn't have to come to us yeah, hat in hand. Exactly. <laughs> right. And so I think that... It was pretty known that Philadelphia was likely going to cut Smith. I think that Carolina called Philadelphia to try to get ahead on that sweepstakes. Because the bidding war for Tory Smith was going to be hot, man. Dude, I don't know. Okay, I'm just this ridiculous. Is but the Panthers screwed that up to me. So I, yeah, I see there what you're it saying. Is. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. exactly. That's what we were trying to dance around. Let's just call it like we see it. What were the Panthers thinking? We we're going to cut him. <laughs> what are you yeah. doing? Yeah. The annoying thing about this is, I'm very glad we got something in return for Tory Smith. Anything in mm. return for Tory Smith is good. The thing is, because Tory was traded and not cut, we don't get. The five million in cap relief before the league year starts because the yeah. trade doesn't happen until the league year starts. Dale Worley better freaking make the roster because <laughs> the Eagles have a good amount of reasonable, perfectly fine, accomplishable cap finagling to do. It's just now the margin for error is smaller. When you consider the additional money brought on by the Michael Bennett trade and then the money consequently lost uh, in the Tory Smith trade, the cap space created, Philadelphia essentially, across these two trades, used 750K, all right, yep. which is peanuts. So they're still, they've still got to clear just under 10 mil in cap space before the league year begins. Cutting Vinnie Curry and Brent Selleck will clear about 8 million of that, which those two are probably the easiest cuts. I think that maybe Philadelphia was looking to trade Curry, but once right. you trade Smith... You can't trade Curry because you can't be trading those players and not be getting any cap relief before Wednesday, the, the 14th. So you would imagine Curry and Selig both get cut. I would anticipate that happens today on Monday if you're listening to this when it comes out. Uh, I would anticipate they do that early, give them a couple of days in the tampering period to talk to teams. And then $2 million left. Not difficult to open up that $2 million immediately in a contract restructure. You can also look at guys like Chris Maragos. Who, sorry, Mike, if all of you who don't know, don't get to look at Mike's beautiful face every day. Uh, Chris Maragos looks exactly like him. And Mike could sneak onto the field, put on a 42 jersey, and nobody would notice until he tried to, like, run a play or a punt or something and die. Uh, but he could pull it off. Which is why he needs to be on the roster. Right, yeah, yeah. So Maragos, uh, you know, the Eagles need to get younger at safety. Maragos is their oldest investment at safety, and he is primarily a special teamer. It may be time to move on from him, and he could get you closer to the two mil. We all... we. We constantly talk about, oh, and the Eagles can just restructure to immediately open cap space, and they can. And the cap isn't a problem because the Eagles are within $10 million, and they could certainly restructure their three biggest contracts and open up $10 mil tomorrow. The thing about restructuring and the reason why not every single team does it every single year to open up all the cap space they want is because you're kicking the can down the road. And as you right. kick the can down the road, it gets bigger. Right. Obviously, the cap also inflates. But, you know, what will happen very often is you'll be able to take, you know, roster bonuses, a portion of a player's contract and say, listen, we will fully guarantee this. All right. You don't have to be on the roster in 2019 anymore. We're just going to give it to you. The thing is, uh, we're going to give it to you later and not now. Like, you're going right. to get it, but we're going to open up the cap immediately here and push the guaranteed money further down the road. Players like it because they get more guaranteed money. They don't have to worry about injury and so on and so forth. But 
it's rough for teams because your cap space gets worse down down in the future. Antonio Brown just did this for the Steelers to help franchise uh, Le'Veon Bell. One of the reasons right. that the Steelers can do this is because they do not envision shelling out a big quarterback contract anytime soon because Ben Roethlisberger is going to retire and they're going to bring in a rookie. The Eagles have the inevitable $40 million contract of Carson Wentz hanging over their heads in 2020. So yeah. they can't do much kicking down the road. So when we talk about restructures, it's not – you know, fairy godmother Cinderella. It's just, that's an important note as far as, you know, looking at the cap. So expect Curry gone, Selleck gone. A false trade will obviously help them create a little bit of wiggle room for free agency, uh, but it wouldn't help alleviate cap today. And then potentially Marigos, Smallwood, uh, Chance Warmack, these are guys that you mm. could see uh, just open up a little bit of extra breathing room as well. And another factor in that, let's dig into the Michael Bennett situation that's playing a part in our defensive end situation. Uh, I've got some interesting notes on it after having dug into his film, and I'll have a scouting report up on Bleeding Green Nation soon. Keep an eye out for that, just like I had for Daryl Worley. I plan on doing this for everyone that joins the Eagles. Howie Roseman is going to absolutely murder me, I have a feeling, with all of his (laughs) wheeling and dealing. Ben, one thing that is going to fuel some of the Brandon Graham trade talk even more is the fact that Bennett spent 85% of his snaps lining up over the right tackle, which is where Graham spends 88% of his time. And there is context needed for that. Those percentages come from Pro Football Focus. And I asked Mike Renner from PFF to clarify what they consider an inside pass rush as opposed to an outside pass rush, because he only had like 11 pass rush snaps to be inside. And what I got out of that was if he's kicked inside, Michael Bennett, that is, and he is shaded on the inside shoulder of a tackle, Even if Michael Bennett has a guy to the left of him on the edge, as long as he's shaded on that tackle, they count that as an outside rush. So a lot of his rushes still came from the inside. He was just shaded in that, just off of that B gap to the left of that. Ben, I can see kicking him in a lot, just like we do with Graham. And while we were 30th in the league in utilizing stunts as far as frequency last year, only using them on 19% of rushes, that's Bennett's specialty. And it's interesting because Eric Turner of Cover One reminded me that Schwartz, Jim Schwartz, when he was with the Bills, let their rushers freelance a bit. And they got to choose when they wanted to stunt inside on a rush. So sometimes they would come a little bit later on in the rush. So Ben, now that we are some time from the initial shock of bringing in Bennett, what's been dancing around your head regarding this trade, some of the implications, how we can use them? Are you having dreams of the radar package where everyone stands up at the line and moves around and no one knows who where's coming from who, you know what I mean? Like what's going on in that in that in that brain of yours? Listen, the last time I played Madden cuz I'm not a really big video games guy and I'm not very good at it. But the Eagles had this defensive package that was 155, so one Ooh, knows. It's psycho. But then you just had like Five stand-up guys. And I just ran that blitz out of that, and nobody knew what was happening, and that's how I ran my defense. So I'm very down with that. <laughs> I'll put it this way. I think that a lot of the reason why Schwartz is... We've seen Schwartz have more determined rush lanes in Philadelphia, and part of the reason being is that Schwartz has blitzed significantly more in Philadelphia than he ever did in Buffalo, and that is a good thing to me. One of the weaknesses of Schwartz's defenses in his first year with Philadelphia in 2016 was the lack of blitzing, especially a guy like, you know, a Michael Kendricks, who is at his best when he's blitzing because he's not good at other stuff. 
We've seen Philadelphia constantly run those those mug looks, double A-gap look, cross-dog looks, where there's there's at least six guys on the line, usually, and then five of them rush. And what you do by putting multiple bodies on the line is you you force the offensive line to slide their protection, and you force one-on-one matchups in space, and then all of a sudden you got Fletcher Cox on the right tackle with everybody else sliding left. You've got Brandon Graham on the right guard with the right tackle picking up a blitz to the outside, everybody else sliding left. You're creating one-on-one matchups with your best rushers in space. You need to have defined rush lanes for that. And so to me, I'm a big fan of that evolution in Schwartz's defense. I do think it'll limit the amount of freelancing that a guy like Michael Bennett can do. But at the same time, you can scheme freelancing. You can create two-way goes and you can use a guy like Bennett to twist and stunt in a way that's very, very exciting. So I still think that that potential and that, you know, strength will be there. Michael Bennett, you broke down the film very well. Philadelphia has the best defensive line in football in my eyes talking starting eight not starting four which obviously is a big you know boost to Philadelphia other starting four is Jacksonville you can make a case but I think when you just look at you know the entire depth chart the Eagles have the best defensive line Eagles have the best offensive line so the Eagles have the best units in the NFL in both trenches that's how you win Super Bowls (laughs) Super Bowl champions don't know if you heard I will say so we were talking about restructuring contracts earlier Bennett also a very interesting candidate for restructure $3 $3 million roster bonus. I brought up roster bonuses this season uh, due on the fourth day of the league year. That's March 18th, a Sunday. That roster bonus represents a $3 million of a $5.65 million cap hit for Michael Bennett this season. If you trade Bennett, or excuse me, if you restructure with Bennett, you can take that $3 million roster bonus, prorate it over the next three years of his contract. That's $1 million on each year. You just open up $2 million, $2 million of space. And restructuring for a guy for whom you just traded is not only a little bit easier because you're like re you're you're just beginning negotiations with him Bennett you're fully guaranteeing that money you know he Mm. also has one million uh, worth of his contract this year is on a per game basis so he only gets you know a part of it for every game that he starts you can go ahead and fully guarantee that and push it down the line if you want to something to you know a good faith sort of action to you know, welcome a guy to Philadelphia, but it also helps alleviate your cap this year. Like that's perfectly reasonable. The other thing that's interesting and you regarding the Brandon Graham trade, this is what I think is key. I don't know where you would put your hands. Like everybody would put them differently, but like, let's say Graham is up here and Bennett's play is like right here. Right. And like, I don't know, whatever like distance, you know, you're going to envision that is think about whatever like skill level discrepancy you think it is. Bennett is really only two years older than Graham. It's like two and a half years, right? Right. He's going to represent a, a $5.65 million cap hit this year, whereas Graham is like eight and a half mil or something, right? But that's not even important. Graham's going to get a new deal in 2019, period, by some team. Right. And he's a pass rusher, so he's going to be very valuable. And he's a good pass rusher, so he's going to be even more valuable. He's not going to demand a top tier contract. We're not talking about like the near 20 million that guys like, you know, Olivier Vernon got for whatever freaking reason. But I'm seeing like 12, 13 million projected for him. Yeah, exactly right. Now, those are the numbers that I have. 2019, a $12 million cap hit. 2020, a $13 million cap hit. In those same two years, Michael Bennett, two years older, would represent an $8.7 million cap hit and a $10.2 million cap hit. So you're talking two to three to four million less per year for those two years. If Philadelphia envisions Derek Barnett as their primary edge rusher moving forward, for 14th overall pick on a rookie contract, if he's edge one for this team moving forward, and, and 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 he and Brandon Graham, like you know, they're like Brandon. It's not the plan to make Derek edge two and and Brandon Graham edge one. Philadelphia is in a very strong position to move on from Brandon Graham. That's all I know. Mm. Looking at the numbers, that's all I know. If they wanted right. to, they're in a great spot to do it. And then Bennett is a guy 
he comes in, he's productive. You're getting, you know, again, the hands. Brandon Graham minus what? Two notches, three notches at $3 million. We get a discount, which is great. Or if he's unproductive, he's a very easy cut in 2019 and 2020. Very easy, given his current contract. Obviously, you make it a little bit more difficult if you restructure, but still quite easy. And then you're dealing with Derek Barnett. You go, you draft another edge guy. You have Steven Means, who they like. Who knows how long Chris Long is going to play? There are multiple guys that they can have, right? And so Philadelphia's in a great place to move on from Brandon Graham if that's something they would like to do. Keep in mind, Bennett last year, I mean, I just looked at the last three years to see if his snaps maybe steadily declined. He had the most snaps that he had had in the last three years last year as a 32-year-old. He had 70 pressures, 70 total pressures for Bennett, seventh in the league out of all the qualifiers from 4-3 rush ends. He had the fourth most rush stops out of 4-3 ends with a big-time run-stop percentage. Guy balled last year, so it's not like, and I didn't, I, I purposely went back to 2016 to watch some of that tape compared to 2017. I didn't see a slower Bennett whatsoever. So if the drop off is coming, it hasn't come yet. I can tell you that much. Moving on, we got to talk some Browns trades, man. We got to talk some sexy oh, Browns trades because my, uh, my, my the- closet <laughs> franchise. Have I told the BGN listeners? Okay, so I had a giant man crush on Sashi Brown. And by had a giant man crush, I mean still currently harbor a giant man crush on Sashi Brown. And here's the thing. If you, if you, in Hinky we trust, if you love Sam Hinky, if he died for our sins, then Sashi Brown did essentially the football equivalent of that for the Cleveland Browns. So you don't get to have your cake and eat yeah. it too. If you like Sam Hinky, then Sashi Brown trading away from pick number two, away from Carson Wentz was a good idea. These, these are irreconcilable truths. Okay. But I love and and here's 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 my theory on on Sashi Brown, okay? Because people talk about how Sashi got the short end of the stick. Sashi came in, he sold the Browns on a long-term rebuild plan. He got halfway through it to the point where they had accumulated a ton of capital, they had a ton of young talent, and now it was time to go on the spend. They had an insane amount of cap. It was time to go on the spending spree, and then he was fired and John Dorsey was brought in. Now, me personally, I wouldn't be surprised if Jimmy Haslam fired Sashi Brown with the sole intention of letting him blow everything up. And then bringing in somebody else for football acquisition, which is scummy, but it's Jim Haslam. So it's easy to think that it was scummy. Like, this makes sense. This track right. this is in character. Sashi clearly proved to the NFL, and it's going to sound stupid, that he can blow up a franchise really well. Which, like, okay, duh. But he actually, like, did an incredible job accumulating draft capital and cap space. Like, in a way we've never seen as far as the amount of value yeah. that he had. And so I think the Browns are the most interesting team to watch, again, as an offseason nerd, as a guy who loves the offseason. The Browns are the most interesting team to watch in the NFL right now. So much. Yeah. Like, imagine, like, starting an NFL franchise. You had all the space and all of the picks. What would you do? Like, we, we never see that, and we're seeing that right now. Like, as close as we'll ever get to that. Just, like, starting from yeah. square one. Very interesting to watch. Very exciting. Yeah, the Browns did some drugs the end of this week, man. They did something because they went nuts. One of the moves was taking a pick out of that war chest of picks and trading overall 65 for Bill's quarterback, Tyrod Taylor. To me, instantly, I said, okay, bridge quarterback. Everyone shut up about taking Saquon Barkley at number one. You're picking a quarterback anyway. And the name that came to mind was Sam Darnold. And you had said you would wish that Sam Darnold had stayed in their year because the technique was not, he didn't improve and it, and it wasn't, and it wasn't there for him. And if you want to clarify mm-hmm. that. Right. No, Sam, I like, I'll put it to you this way. Before the season, I said, Sam, come out, 
Sam should have came out as soon as he possibly could. Every quarterback should in the history of time. Because as long as you're going to be that like a ball. top, if you're a top 60 prospect, that is. Because go out and get money. From an on-field perspective, Sam desperately needs more maturation. And if he's thrown into an NFL starting gig week one, I think it's going to be very bad. From a off-field perspective, I 100% see the purpose of going, you're going to get drafted high, you know you are. Go and make millions of dollars before you, you know, incur god forbid an injury and you lose all of your worth that's terrible so no it's completely defensible and there's there's a connection with the browns and darnold too as was pointed out to us carson palmer's brother jordan palmer is sam darnold's private quarterback coach who has been praising browns quarterback coach ken zampezi is it zampezi or zampez do you know who knows all they everybody needs easier last names michael this is ridiculous zampezi salah nobody all these coaches that's that's the problem when you do what we do we don't yeah it's it's all reading and you read everything and when you read it you just read it in your head and you're like this is fine and then you have to say it on the podcast you're like dang it i never heard this said out loud i'm in trouble exactly so anyway zampezi the quarterback coach for the browns who was just hired this offseason to reunite with Hugh Jackson. Zampezi was promoted to the Bengals OC after Hugh left. That's their connection. And then he was fired by head coach Marvin Lewis after just two games after the Bengals scored zero touchdowns, despite Zampezi having been with the team since 2003, which is savage. Oof. Just, yeah, that's, yeah, that's something. That's, a, that's what we call a, a short ripcord there, Mike. Uh, well, when you're on the hot seat like Marvin Lewis is all the time, sometimes you got to make those moves. you gotta, you got to throw people under the bus Marvin Lewis is the hard, greatest story of perseverance in our generation. I've often said this, <laughs> and I actually have often said this. Marvin Lewis is an inspiration to me, Mike, because it takes something special to still be alive so, after all this time. 1,000% agree. What I'm getting at is there is a connection between Zampezi to Darnold through Palmer. And if Darnold is the guy that they pick at one, having a guy like Tyrod puts the Browns in a situation that is like much mm-hmm. better than what Mitchell Trubisky had in Chicago with Mike Glennon, who was awful as the bridge quarterback, who was never going to last in that situation. Tyrod can actually last for half a season, probably more. And he dealt with the benching that they had with Nathan Peterman coming in, which was awful. He dealt with that with class. So he's been in that situation before. Mm -hmm. And Tyrod can play a little ball. He's a solid quarterback. He's a quarterback that you can win with. You're probably always going to want to upgrade that position. That's what the Bills are wanting to do right now. Ben, your thoughts on that situation with Tyrod. Do you think, number one, do you think the move was good? Giving up a 65 overall for Tyrod Taylor. Right. So I power ranked the the Browns trades and the Taylor trade came in third out of the four trades right underneath neutral for me, like one step down. And it solely is... I think 65 is a little bit of a pretty penny to pay for a bridge quarterback. I think you could have found Ooh. yourself notably worse, but still acceptable bridge quarterback on the free agency market for not a lot of money. And you already had a ton of money. And with 65 overall, like Alvin Kamara was drafted, what, 67 last year? You know what I mean? Like you can get a good player. But here's the, here's the thing. People got to keep their jobs, right? Hugh Jackson knows if he's not, he didn't win this year. That you, you try right. to get the best bridge quarterback you can just to kind of save your bacon because you might not get much longer. Do you think that had anything to play with them giving up that high pick for Taylor instead of maybe going after a guy like Keenum or something like that? I mean, yes. And I, I'll put it to you this way. I think that bringing in a guy like – I think Tyrod Taylor is the ideal bridge quarterback. I think that, that right. you know, Mike Lennon was brought in to be a bridge, right? But then it turned out that Mike Lennon – didn't play very well. Tyrod is such a low variance, steady, 
risk-averse player that he's very easy to have in there as a bridge quarterback. You know what I mean? Because, okay, right. sure, he's not yeah. going to, like, blow you away, but he's not going to lose you games. Not not really. Like, maybe one or two a year by being a little bit too cautious. But he's not really going to lose you games. And so I think that that – I think he does fit very nicely as a bridge quarterback. If I'm Cleveland, this trade gets better in the event that, A, I spend, spend, spend – in free agency this year so that in 2019 I do not have to spend, spend, spend in free agency so that I can recoup yeah. a third-round pick for Tyrod Taylor when he walks. Because when Tyrod yes. walks, he's, I, I would imagine he still gets a decent starting contract somewhere. And then yep. assuming he gets decent playing time, you're probably getting a third or fourth-round comp selection for letting a quarterback walk. Uh, so, But they have to make sure that they spend in free agency now because if they bring in too many free agents in 2019, that, that pick never processes, right? So that'll make, that'll make a little bit more sense to me. So I like that one. My favorite trade for the Browns was certainly moving Deshaun Kaiser and getting Demarius Randall back because, firstly, I like Deshaun Kaiser and I want him out of the festering fen that is Cleveland. Yes. Uh, secondly, Demarius Randall is a starting caliber slot corner. And with, yep. with versatility on the back end, which helps. And then thirdly, it's a very clear moving on from like a bad situation with Hugh. So I like that a lot. Step down yeah. for me a little bit. And then the Danny Shelton trade uh, to the New England Patriots. Uh, Danny Shelton and a fifth for a 2019 third. First, I think speaks to they're bringing in a 2019 pick, which is I think that they're still you know, kind of in accumulating capital mode. They recognize that this is a more than one year rebuild. There's Danny Shelton is a good player for what he is, but his position is just a low impact position in the NFL. Generally, he is a space eating zero tech. Bo Allen is a space eating zero tech. Eagles drafted him in the seventh round. He played five for them for five years, right? Like, you know, yeah. it, you don't, um, yeah. D- Danny Shelton, 1.5 sacks in the last two years. You can get a one tech run stuffing guy in round five yeah. with zero, uh, pass rush upside. Those guys fall like crazy yeah. so yeah great point i have i have 1.5 sacks in the past two years like that's that's what we're talking about here with <laughs> danny shell and pass rushing so getting a 2019 third is great for him i'm sure he's going to be very valuable in new england he's going to be used well uh they use it on multiple fronts oh, yeah. so he's going to be he's going to be valuable but a third round pick is a great return for him the worst trade was the jarvis landry trade which is a classic example of okay this player is good uh, and I have a ton of cap room, so I might as well move for him, right? Yeah. Which, like, any yeah. team trading for Vinnie Curry would have done that because Vinnie Curry's not worth this contract. But, okay, I, I, I'm I not going to use this cap anyway. You know, I have to hit the, the cash spending floor, so I'm just going to bring in yeah. an edge rusher who's a good player, and he's going to play for me, and I'm going to pay him too much, but it's fine because I can, right? Cleveland can pay Jarvis Landry whatever it is, like $15 million or 14 whatever he's making on the franchise tag because they have $130 million in cap space or something ridiculously stupid like that, right? Yeah. The fact that it was only a fourth and a seventh that they moved is good. Two day three picks is better. I was worried that a third was going to be involved. If a third was going to be involved, I was going to go postal. But still, you yeah. know, the Landry trade, we'll see. I'll put it to you this way. It becomes more and more valuable for every inch that Landry gets them closer to acquiring Odell in free agency. If they brought in Landry just to bring in Odell, it's the greatest move of all time. And I legit think that that has a factor. It absolutely does. Yeah. Landry's going to be a huge drawing it's, point for Odell when, when he hits free agency because the Giants won't re-sign him because they're dumb. So those are my four trades for the Browns ranked. Man, it was fun to watch the Browns get lively. It was a good time. It's going to take Landry like 10 catches to get that inch, Ben. <laughs> good one, Mike. So we covered all the trades. We went through everything. We talked to Eagles. Ben, what else do we have for the gentle gentle listeners howdy gentle listeners uh thank you so much for stopping by to the kissed and solak show as always we appreciate you listening 
I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As we said at the beginning of the show, Mike will be bringing on a slew of guests for you guys in my absence over the end of this week and the uh, the rest of next week as I'm away out in Mexico. Very excited about that, giving you guys different perspectives, bringing in different faces from around the league, new images, new angles. All of it is wonderful stuff. I will say, please do stick uh, to our social medias. Make sure following at bgn underscore radio and listening to the uh, upcoming shows because we will have a new announcement for you something for our patreon subscribers which is pretty exciting hopefully out in the beginning of this week as mike said be excited for the uh, 314 episode that is the new year the only new year that i recognize michael and so we'll be making our new year's resolutions for the 2018 2019 league year and certainly staying up to date and uh, probably doing a little bit of emergency reaction on the inevitable moves that await us this week always a very exciting week very excited to be doing this with you it's gonna be a good one we all we got we all we need fly eagles fly fly